0: Good morning, and we get to dig into God's Word together again today, and I'm so excited for where we're headed here this morning. Actually, as you know, we're almost to the month of December, and that means Christmas is right around the corner. And we've even already begun in our service here, uh, the celebration uh, oriented towards Christmas and to the birth of Christ and to his coming. And uh, we are going to uh, have a very specific Christmas uh, sermon series that starts in a couple of weeks, but we continue uh, to do a little bit of work in our Above and Beyond series. As you know, Uh, Our our Above and Beyond series is about uh, kind of the new vision for our church that is beginning and it's preparing us for all that God is calling us for in this next season. And it comes right out of the verses in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, above and beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we're asking God in our generation, in this season of our church, that he would do immeasurably beyond all that we could ask or think, above and beyond what we could ask or think, as we uh, seek to continue to glorify him and make disciples here in KL. So, Last week, we took a look at uh, one of the issues and concerns in our church, and that was our finances. And we saw how, uh, what a generous giver is. And this week, we're going to talk about another important topic. Uh, it's the topic of leadership in the church. And today is a, a little bit of a different message. Um, it, it's maybe a little bit less inspirational and a little bit more instructional, uh, a little bit more uh, trying to instruct you to tell you what God's word says about uh, leadership in the church and church government in particular. And then I'm so excited at the end, we're laying hands on the new elders of our church and we're praying over them and, and beginning their ministry here uh, at our church. And so we're gonna do these things together here this morning. and. I want to start with a story, a story about uh, leadership and, and trying to figure out who is actually in the leadership position, who's actually in control. So in 2009, in June, on June first, two 2009, there was a tragic accident in the, over the Atlantic Ocean. Air, Air France Flight 447 crashed into the ocean at 2.14 a.m., and 228 people, all everybody on board, uh, died in that crash. Now, it was an incredible mystery as to why this plane just fell out of the sky for a number of years. Uh, There were a few signals that said that there might've been some sort of mechanical failure that happened, but it wasn't until they found the flight data recorders in May of 2011, two years later, that they began to realize, actually, the plane was in perfect condition. There was nothing mechanically wrong with it. Actually, it was the pilots and what was going on in the cockpit that caused the accident to happen. You see, there were three pilots on this flight and the senior uh, pilot uh, was required to take a rest break. And so he left the cockpit and he left the two junior men in control. And there was the one man who was flying and uh, they flew into a storm. And in the midst of it, icing started to happen and it started to play with the instruments and the autopilot went off. And suddenly the youngest uh, pilot was in control. And he was sitting there in the cockpit uh, flying the plane, and he said, I'm in control, that's what he said. Um, and yet he was completely out of control because as the plane hit the turbulence and began to kind of move around a little bit, he began to move uh, the, the control stick, and it seems like he panicked, and he was, began pulling up on the stick so that the plane was, was going up into the air and slowing down. Well, that, that causes what's called a stall, and the plane ultimately was stalled the whole time until it crashed into the ocean. But it was the pilots, as they heard the pilots talking about what was going on, that they realized uh, that there wasn't really an underst- they didn't understand the situation, and the one pilot was fighting against the other pilot. Uh, even the more senior man, when he took control um, and said, I have now control, uh, the other man continued to pull back on his flight control stick, even though the other man was trying to push the plane down and, and speed it up. It was this confusion between who was in control of the plane that ultimately caused the accident. And even when the senior pilot arrived and began talking to them, the, the, the record records that they had so much confusion among them, they didn't know who was in charge. When it comes to leadership and leadership in the church, oftentimes we find ourselves in this position of panic, kind of seizing and taking control, and it leads to disaster. I know that When I personally am in a situation where I don't know who's in control, I don't know who the leader is, that that often provides uh, a lot of confusion and some bad things. And so today's message is called, Who is in charge of the church? How should our church be structured? And who do you think should be leading our church? Who is in charge of Harvest KL? Well, the main point that I want you to write down here this morning, just so that you can have it in your mind, continue to remind yourself of this. Here's the answer, who is in charge at Harvest KL? It's this, Christ exercises headship over the church through spiritually mature elders who shepherd his flock. And so we're going to land in 1 Peter chapter 5, but I'm actually going to try to get us there through a couple of other texts first and and try to answer this question, who is in charge of the church? If you're taking notes, number one here this morning, Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Why don't you turn your Bibles there now, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 20 to 23, and, and we can see that... The church is Jesus's church. He owns it. He's the one that bought it with His blood. He's the one that purchased it. Uh, Jesus Christ is the owner, the head of the church. The church doesn't belong to a pastor. The church doesn't belong to elders. The church doesn't belong to congregation members. It belongs to Jesus Christ, who alone is the head of the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 chapter one verse 20. And it says this, it says he raised him from the dead, that's God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice the the important phrase here. It's underlined on the screen for you here. It says that he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body. We we see here that no one can say, according to these verses, this is my church. Now, now we say that phrase, and we, I understand what you mean when you say this is my church. We, we're kind of happy that you're, you feel like you belong at this particular church. But the reality is, this verse is telling us that while it's proper to say, hey, this is my church, this is where I attend, ownership is not in any one of us. Not in any pastor, not in any elder, not in any member, because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the one that is in charge. The New Testament never refers to the leaders of the church, as the head of the church, only Jesus Christ. And why we're not, uh, and so that's why leaders should not be primarily concerned with what what is the mind of the congregation? What what do they want? They should be most concerned with what does Jesus want? He's the head of the church. Now notice here, he's not only the head of the church, it then describes the the church in in another short phrase, it says, which is his body. The church is a living organism with Jesus Christ as the head. The church is not to be organized as a corporation. It's not the pastors and elders as directors and then the congregation as shareholders. Rather, we begin to when we understand the difference between organization and organism, we see how the church fits organism better. So Webster's Dictionary defines an organization as an administration and functional structure. But then it goes on to define an organism as an individual, individually constituted to carry on the activities of life by means of organs separate in function but mutually dependent like that that could have been like you just could have put the cross out the word organism and just put the word church right in front of it that's that's a great definition of what a church is that there's this individual constituted to carry on the activities of life by means of separate organs who function together the church is an organism which should be organized yes but but it's fascinating when you see what an organism looks like you see how all the different parts are working together so I was, actually came across this week, a friend of mine showed me a picture of uh, the most complete picture of a human cell to date, and this is what it looks like. I mean, it, it, all, all those different colors, I believe, are you put there, but you see all, all the colors emphasize all the different parts and how complex one human cell looks like. While an organism is organized, it's more than just being organized. It's it, It's living. And it's responsive to a control center. It's responsive to the brain, to the head. The church is a living organism in which every member is to be submissive and responsive to the head and in mutual dependence and interactive with other members so that the will of the head is carried out in a harmonious, unified manner. So we see Jesus is the head. We're talking about the head of an organism called the church. And the main function of the church, government, or leadership is to allow Jesus Christ to exercise his headship over the church. That's the primary purpose of what the leadership of the church is supposed to do. When you have this figured out, it changes how you conduct business. You see, if, if you think that a church is a democratic organization and every member has a vote, then, then it's going to be church politics all over. If you think that the church is about a pastor who does everything, then, then you're gonna be under a dictatorship. And, and if you think that a church is is, is about the members are the shareholders and the largest shareholder has the biggest influence, then, then it's a business. But when members live in daily submission to the headship of Jesus Christ and they seek to obey his word and they gather together and they deny themselves and reverently seek what the Lord is saying, then they function the way that an organism called the church is designed to be. So what does it take for a church member to to be a part of the organism in this particular way? Well, I not only want to teach you what the Bible says and kind of the lecture format here, I want to challenge you a little bit in your own heart about how you relate to it. And so write this down here this morning. This means that we as individual members of the church must submit to Jesus Christ as our king. Let me just ask you, is Jesus your Lord? Many times people believe that there's a conversion experience that is, is happening and it's this believing in Jesus so that you get the benefit of salvation, but they don't realize that conversion is, is not just about the benefit of salvation because I believe in something in Jesus, it's, it's the submitting of my whole life, the turning my whole life over, giving up control of my life and, and saying, God, your way is better than my way. And, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit to you I don't believe that conversion, biblically speaking, has even really happened until you have given your life over completely. You've taken up your cross, you've crucified yourself, you've died to yourself, and you've put Christ into the control center of your life. So have you given up control and submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? See, when you submit yourself to his way, including... His way of leadership, the the way that he structured who's supposed to be in charge, that then you come to the spot where you can actually function properly within the organism that God has made for us. So back to the story about the airliner that crashed. Remember what the cause of the crash was? It was the co-pilots, the, the two pilots who, who were, uh, of the three, who were sitting in the seats, flying the airplane, and the one was pulling the stick one direction, the other was pushing the stick the other direction, canceling each, other thing, canceling each other's control inputs out. And that ultimately is the thing that caused the airliner to fall out of the sky. You see, it wasn't a pilot trying to fight the airplane for control, he was fighting the other pilot. When, when we don't trust what God's word has to say about who's in control of the church, when we begin to stop reading the instrument of his word and, and start just putting our own inputs into how things are supposed to function, like the pilot that accidentally, admittedly, crashed the plane, we will panic, seize control, and disaster ensues. So we must submit ourselves to the King, to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Let him be the head of our church and be the control of our life, and we follow him. We're we're asking today, who is in charge of the church? And we've seen Jesus Christ. He's the head. He's the one that's in control. But notice the rest of the statement continued to talk about how God delegates authority to other men on earth, to give leadership to a church. And so write this down, Christ, number two this morning, Christ exercises his headship through spiritually mature elders. We need to understand what this term elders means uh, and how it's used in the New Testament. And so uh, I I wanna just explain to you about how uh, three different terms are used to describe this role of leadership, this thing that we call elders uh, in our church, even here today. So the first term that we see used is the actual term elders. In the Greek, it's presbyteros. And this is really a term that looks at the man, the character of the man, and describes his maturity. Now, important to understand, not not his physical maturity, not his age. It's speaking about his spiritual maturity, the maturity of character within his life. And so a number of places, in in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to look at here in a second, verses 1 to 4, uh, and and Titus and Acts, we see that this term presbyteros, elders, is used to describe a leader in the church. Now, it's important, I think, in this context to even explain that a little bit further, because uh, in the Asian context, it's the way society is is set up. Anybody who's older is kind of your elder, they're your uncle or your auntie, and you immediately give respect just out of of their age, out of their life experience in those ways. And that's not actually a biblical way of looking at things here. You don't just automatically give somebody leadership in the church because they're an older person in the church or older than you. Really, this term elder is not culturally defined, but biblically defined as somebody who has spiritual maturity. So not just somebody who's older, you automatically give respect because that's your society's way of doing it. But spiritually qualified, mature in character individuals is what the Bible is talking about. A second term that is used is the term overseer. It's in the Greek, episkopos. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, this is how the leader is described, the word that is used there. And and it's looking at not so much the character of the individual, but the nature of their work. It refers to people who are superintending, or watching over, or, or guarding an organization. And the term points, points to a man who's spiritually mature enough to discern spiritual dangers and to guard and guide the flock to a place of spiritual, spiritual growth. So we have the term elder, we have the term uh, overseer. There's a, there's a third term that's used, it, it's the term pastor. And really this is the idea of a shepherd. And, and it's used in noun form in only one place in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it talks about uh, one of the giftings of leaders is this gifting of a pastor-teacher. God gifts some to be pastor-teachers to equip the church to do the work of ministry. So, so it's only used as a position in one instance, but it's actually used multiple times as a verb, as, as, as an action that somebody engages in. The point here is that there's less emphasis on the position and more emphasis on the service or activity. And so I think it's right and good to give somebody who is a pastor, uh, to to give them an element of of respect. Um, But in all of this, it's not really about a pastor being dominant in anything. Really what it's saying is the role of somebody who takes on the work of caring for, shepherding other people, that's the more important emphasis in the Word of God. In 1 Peter 2.24, it calls Jesus the shepherd, the pastor, and guardian, which is overseer of our souls. Jesus is the pastor and overseer of our souls. And human pastors are to work under the accountability of Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. And so we're going to see how that even weaves in in just a second in the way that uh, elders actually function and work within the church. And so uh, there's three things, three, four things that I want us to really just kind of understand about the elders who are given delegated authority from the head, Jesus Christ, to, to do the work within the church. And so write this down. Elders, first of all, biblically speaking, elders should be men. Now, this is hard in our present day and age. It's hard in this particular time in history. Many times this idea is considered a bit outdated and and culturally insensitive. Uh, But if you go back to allowing Jesus Christ to be your Lord, and you recognize what God's Word says and understand what's there, you begin to understand uh, there's something actually uh, incredibly important that God is trying to teach us in this process. And so, in 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there, uh, chapter Second Timothy, chapter two, verses eleven to fifteen, we see the main instruction uh, about why elders should be men. Uh, th- it says this uh, in verse eleven: Let the women learn with Let the women learn, and, and let me just say this for a second: um, In this particular time and age, like it would be really odd to say let women learn, because women generally were not educated in these ways. And so uh, many times people think that this text is actually um, it, it's actually lowering women in some way. It's, that's not actually the case. It's actually saying women are equal in value and worth and dignity. And, and so they should learn. Learn quietly with all submissiveness. Be good students, it's saying. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet... She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in the faith and love and holiness and with self-control. So we probably need to do a whole sermon on this particular text to to get the fullness of understanding here. I feel very limited by the fact that it's in this particular, uh, in in the short amount of time. But let me just give a summary of what's being said here. Leadership of a church is, not, is to be performed by men, not women, is, is really what these verses are trying to communicate. But in that, it's not saying that women are less. Actually, what it's saying is that they're equal in value, worth, and dignity, uh, and, and that the church, uh, for, for so many centuries and many thousands of years, I think, has had this exercised incorrectly because they have followed cultural norms that has depressed women in, in their value, worth, and dignity and maybe even still has that problem. I think we should be very mindful of that. But what it is saying in here is that that while women are not less in value, worth, or dignity, that they do have a different role to play within the church. And the reasons that the text gives us here is that first of all, it preserves God's order instituted in creation, but violated in the fall. That the way that God designed things was that that the men will have a role of leadership within the family unit and within his community, if you will. Uh, And yet in the fall, that's what got reversed here. By the way, don't read this and say that that Eve has more culpability to sin than Adam does. Because in Romans and a number of other places, Adam is the one that is first uh, taken to task for the sin. The Bible is equal in how it even treats those things, even though you only hear the one thing in this particular text. So here's the second reason. Every time elders are mentioned in the New Testament, they're men who are fulfilling the roles. So even in the model of what we see here, that's the way it is. And then the third reason is that the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter chapter 5 are clear that the role is for men. For example, it says that in the qualification that an elder is to be the husband of one wife. Well, that's kind of a difficult thing to do uh, unless your genders are all mixed up like the world today. And so, so in that, we can see that the qualifications are even pointing to the fact uh, uh, that male leadership be, should be given within the church. Now, let me just say this as well. Uh, the Bible teaches very clearly men being in this role in the family and in the church. But it doesn't limit women in leadership in many other institutions, in government, in business, and things of that nature equally, it doesn't say that women are not supposed to teach in any element of what's going on here, but there's places for that. And so I would just say that women should serve the church in every place not prohibited in scripture, which means it's everywhere but as an elder. They should teach and administrate and lead worship and be involved in all the various roles. Notice the ones that I picked there. I didn't say just teach the kids or Clean the dishes, like understand that they should be in every role that the scripture provides for us to be in. And then elders, I believe, should value and seek input of women just like a husband should in his marriage. Like if a husband's leading his family and he's never asking his wife for some input in all of that, first of all, that's not going well. He's not living long. And, and second of all, um, we see that that's actually a really upside down, not scriptural way to even lead in that. And so even elders in the church, I believe, while the role is given to men to function there, should be seeking out the input of spiritually mature women to help in understanding how to lead the church family as a whole in these things. So elders should be men is what we see in Scripture. Secondly, elders should be spiritually mature men, not just any man, but spiritually mature. And we've already indicated this in the terms that we've reviewed, but we see this in the qualifications as well. The whole list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7 show, reflect that spiritual and emotional, emotional maturity is a requirement to be an elder. It starts with this idea that the, an elder should be above, repro, above reproach, which, let me just clarify, does not mean that they're perfect. If you think that a man is elected to be, become an elder because uh, he's perfect or better than somebody in some way, you're wrong. An elder is actually, just like any other normal Christian, uh, seeking dependence upon God, allowing the Holy Spirit to control them, but stumbling and sinning sometimes and needing to repent and failing in some ways. They're, they're, not, they're not saying that somebody is, is perfect in these things, but that they, the, the term above reproach means that there is, there, there is integrity in the reputation of how they live. In other words, I would call them chief repenters in our church men who know how to deal with the things that are wrong within them and are quick to come to the place where they repent and confess and get before the Lord and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to wash over them again and and that their righteousness comes from that and nothing of their own. It's interesting when you look at the qualifications, there is only one that has anything to do with ability or giftedness and that is they must be able to teach. The rest are all about their home life and the ethics and things that we can observe in their character and who they are. So elders need to be spiritually mature. And then third, we need to see the elders uh, know how to work together within a plurality. It's interesting, when you see these terms that are used in the New Testament, they're always used in a plural form applied to a singular church, a local church. In other words, there's a group of men, not just one man, that is leading one local church, not every church in the city or in the world. And so we see uh, that there's wisdom that comes from the counsel of many, Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 tells us, and that elders, listen, they should have an element of wisdom to them, which means that they listen to the counsel of others that are around them. It's not just their ideas. They're, they recognize they're inadequate by themselves and they need other spiritually mature people to guide them. So there's wisdom in sharing responsibility and authority in the church. It it should protect against no one person dominating things. In fact, in the New Testament, there was actually a church that had one man who was an elder of the church. And it actually was a terrible place to be. In 3 John verses 9 and 10, we see that there was a man named Diophetes. Who the Apostle John shames because it says he loves him, he loves to be first, and he was exercising heavy authority alone within the church. And, and the apostle John says, I'm going to come and I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to confront him and rebuke him and, and call him out, because that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Elders, we can also see from there, should be subject to apostolic authority, meaning the word of God. We'd, don't have apostles any longer today, but those who uh, who are the foundation of the word of God, which very much is given to us through scripture. And so when elders submit to the word first, they can relate to each other in harmony. So what we're seeing here is that elders should be spiritually mature men who are subject to Jesus Christ as the head of the church and therefore know how to relate and cooperate with one another. So one more thing that I, in this section, I just wanna just clarify for us is how elders are selected. Elders are selected by God and recognized by the church. Notice, it's not the church that actually picks the elders. Elders are selected by God, but they're recognized by the church. So back to the idea that the church is a living organism. Under the headship of Jesus Christ, subject to His Word, and therefore a church should be seeking to discern what is your plan, Jesus. You're the head of our church. What is the plan for how you want us to find your delegates uh, to delegate uh, th- that you're that you're going to use to lead us? And Acts chapter twenty um, helps us to see uh, th- how this is supposed to happen. Acts chapter twenty, uh, verse twenty-eight says this. Didn't have it, Mark. Got to get there. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So, what that verse is actually saying to us, and a number of things going on there, but it's saying that, that uh, there is the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to who the men in our church should be who actually come into the place of overseer or elder. In that, it's the responsibility of the church to seek the Lord. When, when Paul set up elders, when he appointed elders in the churches that he, uh, that he planted, He always fasted and prayed and asked for God's direction as to who the men were that met the qualifications and would be willing to devote themselves to the task of caring for the church. So you see here that really finding elders is not about voting. It's not about electing a representative for my causes. It's not about forcing somebody and like nobody else will do it, so you have to do it. It's about finding who God has placed within the church to lead us and recognizing through the Holy Spirit who those men actually are. With that, two other small questions. How many elders should a church have? The scripture doesn't really say anything about how many elders uh, that we should have. And I would suggest to you that it should be as the size of the church needs and as the availability of the spiritually mature men allow. There's been people who have said that one elder can care for about 20 family units in a church. I actually think that's a little bit high. Uh, but in that, you would begin to see that a church should have multiple elders because there is a load of carrying that is required. One person can't just do it. And then how long should they be an elder? Well, for our church, we have defined it just that uh, an elder is, is, uh, takes, um, takes one three-year term and is allowed to do two in a row before they are required to take a break. That's just the way we've set it up. Scripture doesn't say anything about that. Um, sometimes people say, well, once you're an elder, you're an elder for life. Well, I don't think so. You might be qualified as an elder for life, but that doesn't mean you're actually in the role functioning as an elder for life. And when it comes to shepherding care, it's hard. It's difficult. We, we should take rests. Every seventh year seems like a good time to do that uh, if you're able to even go that far. So what does this mean for us? How do we actually, de- how do we actually relate to uh, men that Jesus wants to lead our church? We'll write this down. This is really the application as we define elders in this way. We, need to, we as members of the church need to cooperate with our elders. Uh, Hebrews 13 actually tells us a bit about this. In Hebrews 13 verse 17, it tells us, to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. In other words, they're accountable to the Lord. It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So a couple things that I just see in this verse, uh, that that we as members should obey and submit to our elders, and that we should do it in a way that would be a joy for them, not, not something that they would groan about. The principle here is that that we obey and submit to the spiritually qualified men that we recognize in front of us because we recognize that they are Christ delegates for leading within our church. And it's to an advantage to us if we would do that in a way that would make them enjoy the role that they have. Best leadership happens when followers are willing partners, not stubborn mules. And that's seen in the story about this airliner that crashed as well, right? We see that the two pilots who were sitting at the seat were fighting against one another. And that should have never happened because every airliner has what they call a CRM, a Crew Resource Management. Really, it tells them how they're supposed to communicate with each other in a crisis like these two pilots were in. It It tells them who the default control goes to in the midst of that, but they ignored all their training and all their rules, and they were fighting against one another. The crew resource management policies are really about how to cooperate with one another, and yet they forgot all of those things in the crisis Because because in the panic of what they were doing, they were fighting for themselves. You see, we're told here, we have the crew resource management. We're told how to do this. That that we are to to allow Christ to lead our church through spiritually qualified elders and that we are called to obey and submit to them and, and to do that in a way that allows them to lead with joy. So we must learn to cooperate with the elders that are in our church. That's helpful. As we think about who's in charge of the church, we know that it's Jesus Christ. The basic principle is that Christ is the head of the church, and then he exercises headship through spiritually mature leaders. The final question this morning is this. What are elders supposed to do? We'll write this down, number three here this morning. The elder's task is to lead by shepherding God's flock. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, and I would encourage you to turn there right now. We'll just end the rest of our time together in this text. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, let me me read the first four verses. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So if you were to look and and try to unpack and, and study this scripture kind of line by line, it would look something like this. We would see in verse one that Peter exhorts the elders. That means he's instructing them. And he does so from a place of humility. It's it's as a fellow elder. He does that from a place of faith, somebody who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ, and a place of hope, somebody who is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed in the future. In all of this, we see that Peter is giving instructions to elders in the church in in Asia here. But in all of that, he's doing that with great humility as a fellow or elder. He's functioning within the plurality of eldership. Then he tells them the command, shepherd the flock of God, is what he's trying to say in these verses. And he he says, not just every bit of the flock of God, but it's been divided up into local churches. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In other words, the local church that you're within, and then exercise oversight, that's the restatement of the command. And then it tells elders how they are supposed to go about that. Notice three negatives, not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, and not dominating over, but instead in three positive ways, willingly, eagerly, and as examples. And then at the end, we see here that when the chief shepherd shepherd appears, that's Jesus Christ, in other words, they're accountable to the authority of the head of the church. It says, you will receive a crown. You're going to receive a reward And notice, the reward is not from the church. The reward is from Jesus Christ if you have eldered well, if you have functioned with, if you have done what the Word of God has told you to do here. And so in that, notice that the main thing is that elders shepherd God's flock. The word shepherd is the same as pastor. We talked about that already. And the work of pastoring is shared by a group of men called elders. It's impossible for one man to adequately lead a church. And so they are to do this shepherding work, this pastoring, doing what shepherds do for sheep in like real life animals and and men taking care of them, right? We see actually in John chapter 10, we see that Jesus really is the good shepherd and really the example that is given for how elders go about doing the work of shepherding God's flock it says in John 10:14 that he knows them the shepherds know their flock two that they lead them in verses 3 and 4 of John 10 that three they feed them and guide them to the rich pastures of God's word in John 10:9 Four, they guard them from the wolves and the false teachers in John 10.12. Five, they seek the lost and straying and help to heal their wounds in John 10.16. Six, they correct the, those who are in error or are rebelling in 2 Timothy 4.2. And then finally, shepherds equip the flock for maturity to serve in, in their giftings in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Elders shepherd the flock. They, they do that by knowing them, by leading them, by feeding them, by guarding them, by seeking those who are straying, by correcting those who are erring, and by equipping all, every believer to function within the church of God. That's what it means to shepherd God's flock. Now, it's not just an instruction in verse 2 to shepherd God's flock, but in verse 2 and 3, we see that they are supposed to lead by example and servanthood. Elders who are accountable to the chief's shepherd are going to be accountable for the, their example and their service to the church. Now, this is not how the world does leadership, but... But instead, it is the way they, the, the elders are to lead within the church. They are to be examples, to, to show people how to live, not just tell them how to live. Peter reflects the leadership style modeled by Jesus when he says, you need to be their servant. You are to humbly wash the feet of those who you are caring for. And, and, and you're supposed to do that the way Jesus did. So do you remember the, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, how he was up doing Passover the night before he died, and, and he was there, and he, he unrobed himself and wrapped a towel around himself, got down with a bowl, and started washing the feet of the disciples. That, that was an object lesson. He says, listen, this isn't the way the world leads, but in my church, the way I want leaders to lead is to serve those that they are caring for. And elders know from word and experience that healthy spiritual, know what healthy spiritual maturity is so that they can lead the way, so that they can guide the way in how that happens. And they do that, first of all, by serving in their homes and then by serving within the church. Now, in all of that, many times the world looks at that and say, well, that's just soft leadership. That's not, that's not the way things really uh, should happen. And I would tell you that this kind of leader, spiritual leadership is not soft. They, they still must exercise authority. Titus 1.9 says that they must know what sound doctrine is, able to teach it, and to rebuke those who contradict it. They must prohibit what the Bible says not to do. They must exhort people in what the Bible instructs people to do. Never selfishly or using power for personal gain, but strongly leading God's people to truth and confronting error where that happens. And so that's why the manner matters. The way that elders lead matter immensely. Peter gives us three things not to do here and then three contrast of ways that they should actually function. So notice here in verse 3 it says that they are not to serve or to lead under compulsion, meaning they're not doing it because they're forced into it and that they're motivated properly in doing so, that they are serving Christ as his head, not for any other uh, reason. So they're willingly doing it. They're, they're doing it out of an understanding of who Jesus is as the head of the church. And they're saying, this is a scary uh, responsibility. I don't think I can do this in my strength. Actually, I know I can't. So I'm going to depend upon Jesus, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to do that. Secondly, it says that they are not, they're not supposed to do this lead for shameful gain. They're not supposed to do this for money or for power. Instead, they're supposed to do this eagerly. And really not not out of like, I, I have to do this to get to what I want at the end, but really just out of a heart that purely says, I love to serve the Lord and I'm excited to be able to be used in this way. And then the third thing it says not to do is to not domineer over those who are in their care. That means not to control others or to do things to satisfy their own ego. Rather, they should be doing it as examples of how to live in the power of Jesus Christ, controlled by the Spirit, loving the Father. In all of this, you see that there is a very high calling for those who we are recognizing as being elders. And so really, I believe for us, we need to pray for our elders. We need to pray for them to depend upon God because this is an impossible task in man's own power. You need to pray that your elders depend upon God that they don't fall into self-sufficiency, that they don't fall into, I think this is the best practice. They don't fall into, this is the way the business world does things, but that they listen to God and they follow his headship because Jesus is the one who is in control of the church. So it's interesting that this Air France uh, crash that happened, there was a pilot on board who was uh, actually, uh, had just taken his rest a few minutes earlier. He had over 11,000 flight hours, immensely experienced in airline flying. But, but the two men who were sitting at the controls, the two junior pilots, the, too late called him into the cockpit. When he finally did show up a minute and a half after everything began to go south, they wouldn't let him sit in the main seats. He, he was sitting in the seat behind telling them what to do. But in the midst of telling them what they should be doing. The cockpit recorders record that they weren't actually doing what he said. In particular, the one man continued to pull back and slow the airplane down and allow it to fall out of the sky. I don't think he even knew fully what he was doing in the midst of it, but they weren't listening to their chief pilot. And we need to pray. We need to pray that these men, as they take on the role of leadership of Harvest KL, that they're constantly listening to the one who is in control, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. So as we end today, we get to actually introduce new elders to you. And as we do, it's important that we understand who is in charge in the church. We've said here today that God's word teaches that Christ exercises headship over the church through spiritually mature elders who shepherd his flock. And as we look above and beyond, we're asking God, would you do something beyond what we're even asking here? Would you help us as we put new leaders into place that they would lead in godly ways, following what your word has to say? God, do above and beyond what we could even imagine in this. We are asking you to, to help us as we begin to be led by this new group of elders in our church. In 1 Timothy 3.1 it says that, we should aspire, that that somebody who is to be an elder should aspire to the office of eldership. That doesn't mean that there's ambition for power or status, but that they should be reaching for spiritual maturity so that they could serve the chief shepherd by being his under-shepherd within a local church. It means that they should be growing in godliness, that they, they should be in the word of God and praying daily that they should be shepherding their own family and setting an example in their home, that they should be serving God's people and building caring relationships that that are seeking to bring church members into maturity, that we should be looking for men who are already doing these things. Listen, not putting men in and hoping that they begin to do what God's word says, but observing and seeing men who are already doing these things. Listen, not perfectly, but repentance and striving for right things that we can see the character of their lives, that, that, that there is actually evidence of spiritual maturity among them. Men who are already living and doing the work that God has called us to. And I'm so excited that we get today to identify and recognize three of those men who are, who are being called into eldership in our church. And so I'm going to now introduce them to you and we're actually going to lay hands on them and we're going to call them into uh, the leadership that we believe that God is, has called them into here in just a short little ceremony as we end. Let, let's, we're going to just kind of reset here and I'm going to invite these guys up and we're going to be, begin uh, the process of being led by these three men. Let's do this now. So it's with great privilege that I get to introduce to you these three men as elders uh, that we're recognizing here at our church. So I've been working with these three men uh, for the past almost year. Uh, We've been working together through a process of growing uh, in our spiritual maturity, uh, really studying God's word together, uh, learning from each other, spending time uh, learning about each other's lives, encouraging, challenging each other. Uh, It's been one of the greatest experiences. Every Saturday morning for a couple of hours we've met uh, for this past year. And uh, all of that uh, has come to the spot where we realize we are able to recognize these men as uh, men who can lead our church and, and elder at our church at this time. So I want to introduce them to you, and then I'm going to give them just a short charge, and, uh, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, officially pray for them and, and pray them into the role of eldering here at our church at this time. So if you could each just go down and just share your name, just a little bit about yourself, just to make sure that everybody who's watching knows a little bit about you. Hi, my name is Dan Wright. I am the uh, husband of Jessica and the father of Emma and Theo. Uh, We've been in Kuala Lumpur for a little over two years. We'll be here for another year and a half, but excited to serve the church in this way and uh, have loved being part of Harvest Kale. Hi, I'm Sean Gao. Uh, I'm the husband of Fong Ting. Um, we've got four kids, Nathan, Eunice, Adriel, and Jaden, almost forgot his name. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, we've been in Harvest for like about five, six years now. Yep. Yeah, pretty excited to what we're about to do right now. New chapter for us all. Hi, my name is Gupri, uh husband of Bethany, uh, so married to Bethany, no kids yet. Uh, been here in Harvest about four years, I think, about three and a half, four years. I uh, am yeah, really looking forward to what God has uh, in store for us as a church and really thankful for the journey alongside you in this uh, journey. So just that brief introduction, over the coming weeks, uh, we're going to give opportunity for you to get the, to know these men a little bit further, although I know that many of you know them quite well even already, just there much, are much involvement in our church at this time. And so these are the men that we believe God is leading us uh, to call into eldership and So, man, I just want to read to you 1 Peter chapter 5 again, and just, uh, again, this part of like your formal installation here, to use the same words that Peter did, the words of Scripture, to guide us uh, into the the role that you're being called to in this way. So listen carefully here. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, that's here at Harvest KL. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So a couple things that this, uh, these particular verses that we've even just studied today say, but I just want to quickly remind you here, your job is to shepherd God's flock here at Harvest KL. And that's a high calling. You're going to give an account to the chief shepherd for, for how you do. And there's, there's great reward that will be given if you do it well. Uh, but there's also warning in Ezekiel 34, and Jeremiah, listen, if you don't shepherd people, if you do it for your own and you don't do it well, uh, he actually, he said, I'll take you out. i like, I can't tolerate that any longer as well. And so there's a seriousness to what is being said here in that way. Shepherd the flock of God at Harvest K. L. do it willingly. It says not with, with compulsion, meaning you should have the mentality of I get to do this, not I have to do this. Now, there will be times where the weight will feel like I have to do this, right? But just uh, correct yourself when you get to those moments. You get to take care of God's people here at Harvest Kale. That's an immense privilege. Secondly, it says to do it eagerly. So not for shameful game, it says. So it should always cost you more. And that seems weird. That's hard uh, to take on a position that you know will always cost you more. But there's a reward at the end. So let it cost you here. God will take care of anything that it costs you in that way. And then finally, do it as examples, not domineering over people here. Uh, Really, I think what it's saying is sheep must be led, not driven. So it's not forcing the sheep to do things, it's leading them. It's saying, hey, I'm doing this, come do it with me. And that's the best way that shepherding happens in these things. And so um, to remind you a little bit about that, I've I've actually brought two uh, elements, uh, object lessons um, here. Uh, The first is um, that I want to give each of you a towel. And... um, You'll know the symbolism of this. I'm gonna just put that right here for now. Can I do that? Okay. Um, so you remember what Jesus did on the night before he was, uh, he was taken to the cross. Um, he washed the disciples' feet and he would have used, used a towel to do that. And My desire is that this towel, that you would put it somewhere prominent to remind you to be a servant. Never to, serve, never to lead in the world's methodologies, but to lead the way that Jesus led, to lead as a servant humble, washing people's feet, uh, doing the hard, dirty work of caring for people uh, that's required in that way, uh, like Jesus did. So that's the first object lesson that I want to give you. And then the second is this. I'm going to ask you just to open that up if possible. And uh, what you'll find there is that there's a little mirror. And and I would like you to uh, use the mirror as an object lesson to remind yourself that you are an example. But, But there's two parts to this mirror. As you have this mirror, I hope that you'll set it on a desk or somewhere prominent, a dresser in your house or something, that you will look at it and that you'll see yourself and be reminded that this is what the congregation sees. They're looking to you as models. And so you need to see yourself. You need to remember that you are a model, an example. But there's a second element to it. You should look at it and go... They're looking at me, but they should never focus on me. I need to turn this so that the reflection is to Jesus and that what they're seeing in me is not just my ways of doing things, but that they're seeing Jesus in it. And so my hope is that you will use these two object lessons, that you'll put them somewhere that regularly reminds you you're a servant and you're an example as you shepherd the flock that God has given to you. So let me pray. Uh, for you. And uh, really, it's a prayer of dedication as you move into this leadership role. The Bible talks about laying on of hands in uh, and elders, and, and that's really what we're doing here. We're, we're going to, I'm physically going to put a hand on your shoulder and God, ask God to lead you uh, in the role that he has called you to in these ways. So let's pray together now. Congregation, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your ways. I, I thank you that you are the head of the church. Lord, we have made that very clear today that you indeed are the one that are leading us. But Lord, you've chosen to delegate your authority uh, here on earth to us and in your church to, to spiritually mature men who would, would, uh, would lead your church uh, in, in the ways that you have called them to, that they would shepherd and care take care of, uh, of the church. And so Lord, I pray that you would guide Dan Lord, would you help him to be a man who each day looks at your word and speaks with you and depends upon you for all that you have called him to. to Lord, that he would lead his home well, that he would love his wife and his children. Uh, Lord, that um, <coughs> that he would uh, then lead the church well in those ways as well. God, we ask for your strength in, that, in those things. Lord, I thank you for Shungao and for your call in his life. And Lord, as you have told him to shepherd the flock here at Harvest KL, Lord, would you help him to do that willingly and eagerly and, Lord, just full of humility. Lord, I, this is, these are already things that, that we can see within him, but God, would you increase that in him? Would you increase his dependence upon you and, and his submission to you in those things? Lord, that he would lead well as an example and as a servant, uh, the people that you have charged him to shepherd in these things. And then, Lord, I thank you for Gapreet and for your call in his life. And, Lord, I thank you for how you've rescued every one of these men from their own ways of thinking and brought them into uh, faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I thank you the way that you have done that within Gapreet and and the obvious work that you do each day in his life. And, Lord, would you help him uh, to strive to depend upon you, to find his confidence and his hope and his trust in you, and Lord, to, to lead out of a position that he knows that he's loved and saved by you and that, that you have called him into this particular role at this particular time. Lord, would you uh, just surround him with uh, your Your deep love and, and with the confidence that comes from following you closely each day. So Lord, I, I thank you for each of these men. I thank you for Dan and Shungao and Gupreet. And Lord, ask your uh, blessing upon them as they lead our church. Lord, we know that as you uh, provide good leaders for our church. We, uh, we have a, a place that, that is cultivated that can glorify you in a powerful way. Lord, would you help these men to uh, see if they, ever make, uh, if, if they ever make a misstep and to be quick to repent and to be quick to follow after you. Lord, would they continually uh, listen well to uh, the sheep of this church, the flock of this church, but Lord, most of all, listen to you and, and be led by you. Uh, Lord, we want to be led by these men to a place where we're confident that it's Jesus Christ who is leading us. And so, Lord, would you help these men in these things? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, one last thing as we end here today. I just want to instruct you as the church here at Harvest KL. I just want to give you just a quick word of instruction here. These are your elders. Uh, These are the men that we're recognizing that God has called to lead our church at this particular time. And so I encourage you to follow them, just like the scripture tells us that we read earlier, to obey and submit to them uh, in a way that would bring them joy uh, to the leadership role that they have. And I think one of the best things we can do is to pray for our leaders. I would encourage you, pray for these men Pray for them once a week. Pray for them once a day. Find a way that you are regularly praying for the leaders of your church. Uh, You will not regret spending that time praying and asking God to lead us as a church in this way. And so really, congregation, follow your leaders. Pray for your leaders. And with joy, we now get to say, this is the new elder team of Harvest KL. And we're so glad for what God has done for us. Can I just say one last thing? Could you please... At some point today, pick up your phone and send these guys a message and say, I'm so glad that you're uh, leading our church and I'm going to pray for you in these things. That would be a great encouragement to them even as well in that way. Well, let me just uh, conclude our service with a prayer and then we're going to sing as we end our time together here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in charge of the church. Lord, we joyfully submit to your ways in this. And Lord, we follow your pattern that scripture has laid out. Lord, we recognize that these three men are spiritually qualified and are willing to take up the role of leading our church as under shepherds under you the chief shepherd and we praise you for the way that you have orchestrated these events and lord we pray that you would continue to help us to keep our eyes on you you are the hope that we have lord as even as we review what you have done for us in this final song that we sing here today would you help us to celebrate the way that you're working among us in these ways it's in christ's name i pray amen